It is so good to be here this morning at the Bridge Mount Olive. We were here launch Sunday, and we've been several times since then. I'm going to tell you, such a great congregation here in this church. Now, I get to tell you the dirt about your pastor. Uh, he is my brother-in-law. Let me tell you something. He is a wonderful man of God. I've only seen one issue with Andrew, and I, I might get something thrown at me here. He, he's a Carolina fan, and those that know me know I'm a big state fan. Any Wolfpack fans in the house? Yeah, a few, okay. But other than that, he is a wonderful man. Uh, you've heard that term in the Bible, a man after God's own heart. And that's what God said about David. Well, I can honestly say that about your pastor. He has your best interests at heart. He talks about you all the time. We were together last night. In fact, he fixed me a big ribeye steak, and I sure appreciate that. And we were talking about today, and he loves the bridge, Mount Olive. And Nicole supports them in every way, and their family is so dear to me and my wife. And as he said, I will introduce my wife, his sister. And yes, I did go to Andrew. I went to his mother first, and then I went to him next. And that will show you how much I think of him and ask him if I can marry his sister. And this is my lovely wife, Leanne. She'll wave at everybody. My little boy Garrett, and then, of course, Aubrey is back there in Bridge Kids. Well, I'm excited to bring the message to you this morning. We are in a sermon series called The Church Is. And, and what we're doing is we're working through established perceptions of the unchurched world. Now, I've actually read up on some notes and, and watched a few things here uh, to get ready for this today. And so far, y'all have talked about the church is full of hypocrites. How many have heard that before? I have many, many times. Or the church is just about money. It is just a building or the church is irrelevant. Now, I was here last Sunday. Let me tell you something. Your pastor did an excellent job with last Sunday's sermon showing how the church is not irrelevant. Guys, we're not supposed to cry. And I was sitting over there. I was in tears as he was telling those stories about how God has blessed you as a church and the two ladies that he talked about. That is why church is still relevant because let me tell you something. God is still in the miracle working business. He is saving souls. He is blessing people. He's answering prayer requests. So, yes, the church is relevant. But he has given me the task today, and, and I almost thought when he told me this, he, he, he sabotaged me a little bit because he asked me to preach for him. I said, yeah, I'll preach for you, Andrew. I'm excited about the opportunity to do that. And then he told me what I was going to be preaching on, that the church is unfriendly. So my first thought is, well, he wants me to come into his church and maybe tell some of the folks that maybe don't seem as friendly that they need to get more friendly. No, that's not at all what Andrew is doing. And let me tell you something. Let me put a little disclaimer here. What I'm preaching this morning is out of the Word of God. Because I don't know you. So I feel like I can say anything about unfriendliness. And do not think that I'm pointing to any individual in here because I'm going to tell you what the Word of God says and how we as Christians should be. So, so I did a little research on this topic, that the church is unfriendly. And according to Pew Research Center, I, I was shocked when I saw this figure, but it says 90% of Americans still believe in God or a higher power. That's a good thing. But you always hear in the news media, it sounds like so many are degrading Christianity or degrading churches. But 90%, according to Pew Research, still believe in God or a higher power. 77% of Americans still pray. Let me tell you something. When somebody gets in a crisis situation, they pray. Unfortunately, a week or two ago at the school I teach at, I'm a high school teacher at North Johnson and Kenley. Some of y'all may have saw us on WREL. We had a lockdown. Well, this was not a drill. 
And, and it's funny because the day before we actually had a drill, but the principal come on the radio and said, lock the school down now. When you hear that and you know it's not a drill, that is a sincere matter. We had kids running from the parking lot into the school. Let me tell you something. I believe that 77% of Americans still pray because when you get in that situation, you start praying. But the concerning factor to me is only 42% of people in this country regularly attend church. So we want to deal with this topic, and we're going to dive deep into it this morning, that the church is unfriendly. Remember, that's what many say, and that is a uh, very, very uh, difficult accusation for church people, especially for me and Andrew people that are pastors, because I'm going to tell you, we like to think that the church is friendly, that the church is very welcome. And let me tell you, this church is, but according to Fuller Theological Seminary, the number one reason people don't return to the church they visit is they did not feel welcome. In fact, it says people were friendly. They were just friendly to each other. Now, I thought this was an important statistic. 44% of millennials. Now, you have to understand the age group of a millennial. That's 23 to 38 years old. Now, when I think about 23 to 38, that's the age range me and my family are in. These are probably mostly families that are looking at church, that maybe have just gotten out of college, started a career, and are trying to find somewhere to call home. But 44% of the millennials say the church seems too much like an exclusive club. Wow. We have some work to do. 42% attend church regularly, but 44% says, you know what? It's just an exclusive club. The church is unfriendly. Guys, let me tell you something. This is where me and my wife are right now. As Andrew said, I was pastored Free Chapel Church for a couple years, and now we're kind of looking at church home. We visited here and we visited there, and I will tell you that I have seen churches that do a great job of being friendly, that make you feel welcome. But I have seen churches and experienced congregations that they don't really speak to you. You almost feel like you're not noticed. So this is where we're at. And I can speak on this a little bit today from experience. You know, the sense of unfriendliness begins at a young age. As I told you at the high school I teach at, I see this all the time. We have something in North Johnson called Power Lunch. It's an hour break during the day where our kids can go pretty much anywhere in the school and they can hang out with their friends. But you would be surprised, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I work at the gym, and we have kids sitting up in the bleachers at the amount of young people who sit right by themselves, who you can tell they look around, they're on their phone, and just wanting somebody to speak to them, wanting somebody to be friendly to them. Yet, day after day, Tuesday, Thursday, every time I'm in there, I see the same young people sitting by themselves. I even have one young boy in my class, he's a great young man, but uh, as far as having the things that other children have, he, he doesn't come from a lot, but he's a great kid. But you can tell this clothes a little more ratty, and, and I've noticed that even the students in my classroom kind of exclude him, and how sad that is. So we must put ourselves in their shoes. We, we want that to happen to us. Now you're probably saying, like I did when Andrew gave me this sermon topic, surely unfriendliness cannot happen in the church. Well, yes, it can. And let me tell you some reasons why and how. First of all, many churches are what we call family churches, where three or four families kind of dominate the church. When that happens, the families are real close and knit together, and they sometimes seem to exclude everybody else. It's just our family, and we don't really want anyone else. Another one is the eyeball church. 
Maybe you've experienced the eyeball church. I know I have. You walk in, and what happens to everybody's eyeballs? They go to you, and you're sitting there like, oh, my gracious, all these folks looking at me. And it doesn't seem like a good feeling because it's not like they look at you smile. It's like, who is this in my church, on my territory? It's almost like you're trespassing. But I've seen many times that you have the eyeball church, and then there's a lot of churches, and I don't think they intentionally do this, but they kind of say, we want sinners, we want the world, and that's what the church is supposed to be. But then they kind of pick and choose. I've actually sat with a group of people before and heard them discuss about a family. And they said about that family, I don't think they're a good fit for our church. I think they're trouble. I don't, I don't think they belong here. Man, that is difficult. And I wonder what God says or what God would think about that. You see, reasons that we may have for coming off unfriendly, and as I said, I don't think we intentionally do this, is number one, society has changed. I understand that as a person going up and down the road. There was a time in my life when I was a little bit younger where I would see somebody that had a flat tire and immediately I would pull off and help them. And I still will if it's the broad daylight scenario and they're kind of by themselves. I will do that. But we know how society has gotten. Are you going to pick up a hitchhiker now? Probably not because we've all seen the horror stories on the news. Or someone changing the tire. Maybe there's a, a big group of them. We're kind of weary about that. So I'm not sure that we're unfriendly intentional, but maybe it's a trust thing. Or maybe sometimes we think, you know what? In our church, we have welcomers. We have greeters. And that's their job. That's their job alone. When somebody comes into church is to hold out a friendly hand, shake their hand, and say, welcome to church today. But let me tell you something. One thing you have to understand, when the Bible talks about church, it's not talking about a building. You are the church, not just in this building, but everywhere you go. When you're at Walmart, when you're at school, no matter where you are, you are the church. And you've always got to make sure that people know and understand that you are friendly and that they are welcome wherever you may attend your local church. Let's face it, some people may just be introverts. There's some people like that. They don't like a crowd. They're not people people. They don't want to be around people. I've experienced that with students in my classroom. My wife will tell you, in fact, she gets on me all the time, her, and I, I don't call him Pastor Andrew. So if you hear me say Uncle Andrew today, he's Uncle Andrew to me. So Uncle Andrew tells me all the time, Dane, you're going to run for a political office one day in Wayne County. I'm not. But I always go up and speak to people. If I know you, if I've seen you, I see a lot of y'all's faces today. So next time you're out eating somewhere, I'm liable to walk right up to you and say, hey, how are you doing? That's just me. But there's some people who are not like that, and that's okay. We still have to be friendly. I remember a few years ago, had a young lady in my ag mechanics class. I teach welding and construction. And she was actually the first female welder I've ever sent to a school to get a higher education in welder. But the first day in class, I, I was so excited how good her well was. And I called her name. I said, hey, girl, give me a fist bump. And she drew up tight like this. I was like, oh, what have I done? She wouldn't fist bump me back. She was what I was talking about a while ago when I mentioned she was an introvert. Nothing wrong with that. But finally, later on in that semester, I did get her to give me one of those fist bumps. What I'm trying to say is, folks, I think sometimes the things that we're doing in church are maybe not intentional, but we still have to be aware of them. You know, I was thinking about a movie back from the 1990s, telling my age a little bit there. Does anybody ever remember the Jim Carrey movie, The Cable Guy? Woo! One of those friends. Well, if you're not familiar with Jim Carrey's The Cable Guy, he is the cable guy in the movie. And what he does, he goes to this guy's house and he says, hey man, how about hooking me up with free cable? Well, he does it. Well, next thing you know, Jim Carrey is this guy's best friend. 
The only problem is this guy does not want Jim Carrey to be his best friend. And the whole movie is about how Jim Carrey stalks him, calls him all the time, even ruins his relationship with his fiance. And I think sometimes we are concerned about those things, so we kind of put a guard up. But what I want you to understand this morning, Bridge Mountain Olive, is the first thing we have to realize is that it's a very lonely world out there. People are lonely. You see, loneliness is really a reflection of whether or not you feel connected to others. When, when I was looking up the word loneliness, some other words popped out. Empty, isolated, excluded, or left out. So I want us briefly to look at some causes of loneliness. How are people lonely? Why are people lonely? Why is it so important that the church is friendly? Well, the first cause of loneliness is transition. You have to understand that life is a series of transitions, seasons, whatever you want to call them. I, I can go back. I remember my first, fr my first day of freshman year in high school. Transition from the middle school where you were in eighth grade. You, you were the king of the school. You knew everybody till you were the young kid on the block. And I remember how scared I was, how lonely I felt. Even though there was a crowd of us eighth graders around, we stood like this and we didn't speak. Because it was a transition. It was a very lonely feeling. Well, I remember my first day at NC State University after I got used to high school. I, you know, the, the school I teach at now is actually the school I went to, a little old rural high school in Kenley, North Carolina. But I remember being at NC State. I was so excited to get there. I finally was there at my beloved Woodpack, and there was 20,000 people that first morning transitioning to a class. And I went from a place where I knew everybody to where I felt so lonely. I'll never forget, I was going to a, uh, a place at State called the Freedom of Expression Tunnel. I was walking to class, and I looked, and the guy beside me had long blue hair, chain wallets, and these big baggy pants. And I said, I'm not in Kindling no more. I'm a country boy. What is going on? And I felt so lonely. Think about how people feel that go to a church for the first time. Maybe there's a reason they're having to transition out of the church, or maybe they've just gotten saved and they're on fire for the Lord, and they walk into your church for the first time. That's a new season. That is a transition. I'm really going to hit your heartstrings here. Doing research, it said 70% of nursing home residents never get a visit. That's sad. Their families drop them off at this nursing home. And rarely go about them again. Now think about that person. That's a transition. The same grandmas and mamas that changed dirty diapers, that cooked for the family, and the same dads that made sure the grass was cut and the farming was done. They're now at a nursing home, a rest home, and nobody comes about them. Loneliness. The second cause of loneliness I want to talk to you about is separation. That is when we are isolated from those we know, care about, or love. Think about when there's a death in the family. You're isolated. You feel so lonely. Maybe a, a, a job. You're, you're coming to a new job and you're separated from all those coworkers. You know, maybe you even got a promotion and you moved up the ladder. But yet you can feel so lonely. Let me tell you something. The Word of God backs up loneliness. In fact, we see in 2 Timothy chapter 4... This is a, a chapter here dealing with Paul and some things that he, he's going through. And he's, he's giving some final instruction to Timothy here. But there's something that struck my interest about separation. If you look at 2 Timothy 4, 
and 9, it says, Do your best to come to me quickly. Do your best to get here before winter. And then Paul goes on to list about seven friends. And, and what he's saying here is he is separated from these friends. And that he's beginning to feel lonely. And he talks about how his friends have forsaken him. He says, Demas has forsaken me. Crescens went to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Tychicus I sent to Ephesus. And what these are, these are traveling companions that Paul has come to love and to care about. And now he's in prison. And none of them have come to him. Many have left him. And what he is, he is separated. And he feels lonely. Can I tell you something? You can be in a crowded room and still feel separated. I think about drug abusers. I think about people that are depressed. Yes, there's people all around, but yet they feel so separated from everyone in the room. The third cause of loneliness I want to talk to you about is opposition. We all face opposition. When me and Uncle Andrew watch a State Carolina game, there's definitely opposition in the room. And here lately, I've been getting the best of them, but we don't ever know when that's going to change. But you feel like you're under attack. You feel lonely. I see this all the time in a high school setting where kids attack somebody, where kids get in the little cliques and they leave one out. In fact, in that very same chapter, the Apostle Paul says this in 2 Timothy 4.14. He says, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. Listen to this. He strongly opposed our message. Now, the Bible doesn't exactly say what the scenario here was, but we can kind of infer that maybe Alexander here lost some business maybe on account of Paul's message. But even if we don't understand the reason somebody opposes us, you still feel lonely when you know somebody has opposition against you. And then the fourth cause of loneliness is rejection. We've all felt that. It took me a while to get to the height I was. It took me a while to grow in my ears. And I remember as a little boy on a playground when they would pick the kickball team or the wiffle ball team. Well, I wasn't always the first one picked. In fact, a lot of times, I was one of the last ones. And you feel so rejected. You feel so alone when you don't get on that team first. And all these guys are running and they're smiling. They're giving high fives to the buddies. And there you are left standing there. It feels like rejection. Other ways we can feel that we have been rejected is we've been betrayed or abandoned by people that we thought we could count on. Maybe for some of you here this morning, it's a spouse, and you feel so rejected. Maybe, maybe that marriage didn't turn out like you thought it would, or maybe a friend has abandoned you. Maybe they're talking about you on social media, and you feel so rejected. Maybe for some here, it was a church. Let me stop right here and tell you something. God loves you this morning. God gave his son to give his life for you so you can know that you are accepted by him. In 2 Timothy 4, still dealing with Apostle Paul here, listen to what he says. After he talks about those friends leaving him, you've got the member that he's in a prison. He says, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. Four causes of loneliness. You see, what I want you to understand here this morning, Bridgemount, this is the world we live in. When you walk out these doors, this is the world. As you go to your restaurants, as you go to wherever today, this is the world that we face. There's people coming here every Sunday. People that you come in contact with every day, and most of them are hiding behind a mask. Yeah, they can crack a smile, and they can, they can make you feel like everything's okay in their life, but deep down inside, they feel so lonely. You see, 
When we're dealing with loneliness, we have two options. Satan's way and God's way. And the reason loneliness is such a big deal is the way Satan portrays loneliness. You have to understand that loneliness equals isolation. The enemy wants to make you feel like you're isolated. That no one else is going through what you were going through at this very moment. No one else has the season of life they're going through that you're going through. No one else has this problem, this friend that has betrayed them, this marriage that is on the rocks, this child that is running wild and you want them saved so bad, so he isolates you. You know what's funny? All all the predators we see on the African plains, the lion, the lion is the animal, the predator that looks for isolation. You see, all the other predators, they look for a weakness and they try to pull that one out of the pack, but the lion wants that prey that's isolated. And it's amazing how the Bible fits together because we know 1 Peter 5 and 8 says this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring what? Lion. Looking for someone to devour. You see, this is why it is dangerous not to have a group of believers to do life with. Now, Andrew didn't tell me to do this, but let me tell you, I just heard something about the bridge groups that you have one more day to sign up. Get in a bridge group. Me and my wife were in a bridge group. And and it's it's an awesome feeling to be able to go and fellowship and also gather around and say, you know what, guys, there's something going on in my life right now. And I, I want to be able to talk to you about it. That group of people you can trust, you can discuss it. And there you have somebody to do life with, somebody to pray for you, to help you fight your battles. That's what the church is all about. Because we see these causes of loneliness and we know what the enemy wants to do. He wants to isolate us. And all throughout the word of God, people have fallen because of loneliness. Uh, Think about it. In the garden, the, 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 the fall of man as we like to call it, Eve faced separation. Adam was not with Eve when we see that the serpent came and talked to her and then she took of the forbidden fruit and ate. Think about King David. He was at a point of transition when he saw Bathsheba bathing. Uh, King David was the one I told you it was a man after God's own heart. But the Bible says something particular for it tells that story. It said during a time when kings were supposed to be at war. Well, this must have been a transition in David's life because you know what? He was not at war with other kings. He was home. And he walks up on the balcony and sees this beautiful lady bathing. He commits adultery and has her husband killed. How did that happen? Loneliness, transition in his life. Think about Peter. We all know the story about the disciple Peter. Uh, how Jesus is standing there at trial and, and Peter goes up and warms his hands by a fire and Peter's facing a lot of opposition. You, you were also Peter with Jesus. No, no, I wasn't. And he denies the Lord three times. Why? Loneliness. Even though there was people all around, the enemy had him isolated. In church, that's what we're facing this morning. Unfriendliness. People think that the church is unfriendly. So what we know is that people are lonely and they're hurting, but God has a solution. In fact, Acts 2 is such a powerful verse. I would challenge you to get along with your Bible sometime and read Acts 2, how the Holy Spirit comes and and empowers the apostles and Peter begins preaching a great sermon. But I love the very end of that. If I'm not mistaken, Uncle Andrew, you dealt with this on launch Sunday, these very uh, verses of Scripture in in Acts 2, 42. Listen, this is how we're supposed to do life. 
And it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, I love that word, fellowship. Fellowship with one another. To the breaking of bread and prayer. Now listen, all the believers were, what does it say? Together. We are meant to be together with other people. Not separated by unfriendliness, not separated by culture, by barriers, but be together and have everything in common. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate, again I'm going to say it with some enthusiasm, together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. When that happens, look what God does. When you're friendly and you're fellowshipping with others and you want and have a desire to do life with us, listen to what God does. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When Peter preached that message, the Bible says that 3,000 souls were saved and they were together. That's the common theme of those verses. Now let's get into some difficult stuff. I told you that people are lonely. That when you walk out of these doors today, maybe even here in the church today, you face people that are lonely. So what are you and I supposed to do about it? Christians have to understand the command of God. First thing I want to hit this morning is God commanded for us to love. He didn't say, please, if you will, think about loving. I, just try your best, if you will, to speak to so-and-so. No, the Bible says that God commanded for you and I to love our neighbor. John 13, 34 and 35 says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now, Jesus puts it back. He says, just as I have loved you. How many knows that the Lord loves you? Let me tell you something. I was down in my miry sin, but God loved me enough to pull me out. That's how much he loved me. You also are to love one another. Now, here's a test right here to see if you are doing that. Because the Bible says, by this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. But I know what you're saying, preacher. Loving each other is not easy. It is so difficult. You do not understand how much this friend I used to have is talking junk about me. They've gone to Facebook. They've gone to Twitter. They've just tore my name down. I know this is difficult, but the Bible says you're supposed to forgive them. Can I, can I tell you something? You, do you know how you can understand if you have really forgiven somebody? Maybe you're here and you say, well, I have forgiven them. I, I still don't like them. No, no, no. The Bible says that if you have really forgiven somebody, here's how you can tell if you got a chance to get them back sometime and you don't do it, you know something about them that you could say that the whole world could know, but you choose not to do it, you have really forgiven that person. We all say it's not easy to love. That is why God made it a commandment. He made it a commandment. He knew we'd struggle. You see, making it a commandment to love someone is actually to our benefit. How is that? Because we have to do it on purpose. We have to be intentional about it. Let me ask you this. Do outsiders, when they come into your home, your place of employment, the church, do they feel love? Do they feel welcome? Number two, love is the essence of all God's law. We're dealing here with God's commandments about me and you, how we should be friendly, how we should love our neighbors. Galatians 5.14 says, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. 
The word fulfilled means completed. Now, I think that is awesome. What, what God is saying here is you take the Old Testament. You want to fulfill the Old Testament, those Jews sacrificed animals for, all these laws they commit. You want to fulfill that? He says, then love your neighbor. And you've completed that. The essence of God's law is for you to love one another. Now, let's really raise the stakes a little bit. How many here, and I usually don't ask for hands, but I want everybody to raise their hand that really feels it. How many of y'all want to go to heaven one day? I don't see anybody with their hand down. Everybody wants to go to glory. And I want to be there with you, walking those streets of gold. Well, the Bible says if you want to go to heaven, you have to what? You have to love. You have to love. You have to be friendly. Love one another. Luke chapter 10, 25 through 27 is so specific on this. It says on one occasion, the expert in the law. We know that, that these scribes and Pharisees were always trying to stump Jesus and get Jesus. So they put him to the test again. They thought they could outsmart the Son of God. And here's what they said. They said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I, and I love how Jesus does. He puts it back on him. Well, what does the law say? What, what, what was given to Moses? And he replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. Now listen to the second part of this, church. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you have answered correctly. And Jesus replied, do this, and you will what? Live. You will live forever. You really need more proof of this. You can go to Matthew 25. And the end of that verse in Matthew 25, the Bible talks about Jesus separating the sheep from the goats. Now, you know you want to be a sheep. You don't want to be a goat. And what he tells the goats, and, and, and I've got it right here, he says, I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not go see me. Now all those, when I read that, are people that are friendly, that love the Lord, that love their neighbor. They will do those things. And the Bible specifically says that Jesus told this group that you did not do that. But if you look before he said this, he said, these are the ones who are going into eternal punishment. I know that's difficult this morning, but the Bible is specific. God's word does not change. You and I have to love our neighbor. Now, maybe you're asking a question that I asked many years ago. What is loving your neighbor? When we think of love, we think of all the mushy, you know, gushy stuff. I mean, I saw Lynn and I fell in love with her. So am I supposed to see somebody and fall? No, that's not what it's talking about. Loving your neighbor is this. It is the value you place on another soul, on another person. What value do you place on people? When someone walks through these doors here at the Bridge Mount Olive, let me ask you this. How much do you care? When you see a visitor... How much do you care? You see, Romans 12 and 10 says this, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. You have to understand something about the Greek translation of that word honor. They use the word, I'm old country boy, so I'm going to say T-I-M-I. Tommy, Timmy. I looked at a way to pronounce it, and I've seen it both. But the word honor translated in the Greek is the same word used for worth or value. So let me read that Romans 12, 10 again with the word value. Be devoted to one another in love. Value one another above yourselves. The Apostle Paul specifically talked to the church at Corinth and says this. You were bought with a price. 
You and I were bought with a price. Our salvation comes because of that song that was sung this morning. Jesus giving his life on the cross and then being raised from the dead. But you were bought with a price. It cost Jesus stepping through the portals of glory, coming down here, living a sinless life, and going to Calvary's cross. Now, here's what you have to understand. That word price, honor, and worth and value are all the same Greek words. So to honor one another is to treat a person with value. They're costly. They're precious. And here's the way you have to interpret that. You have to see others as Christ sees them. I don't like them, preacher. I just do not like them. I can love them, but I don't like them. You ever heard that saying? I've heard people say that I love them, but I don't like them. Oh, come on. That's not possible. You have to see them the way Christ sees them. The way that he gave himself for them, just as he did for you. You start seeing people that way, you will make a difference in your home, in your church, in your community. It starts with the individual. You are the church. You are the church. The last part I want to deal with, Uncle Andrew, give me a specific time. So I'm watching that clock. I'm not going to keep you past it. But what I want you to understand, we have to understand the value of friendship. We talked about the causes of loneliness. We've talked about what the Bible says. Now it's in your hands, the value of a friend, the value of friendship. I believe it says it all right there in Proverbs 27, 17. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. One of the things I do in my, my class is I got a big oxy fuel torch, and I get any student to sign up for my class. When I turn that thing on to eighth grade and shoot out a flame by that long, they sign up for ag mechanics. So I, so I shoot a big flame out that long, and I heat metal, and I, I teach them how to, to temper metal, to anneal metal, and different things. But I've noticed something. You want to sharpen metal, you start clinging against another piece of iron, it starts to get an edge on it. And what happens, that piece begins to shine. Well, the same thing happens when we value other people and we become friendly with other people. We, we, we might have differences, but as we are together, we begin working together and helping one another. There is nothing like a true friend because we're not created to do life alone. If the guys will put it on the screen, number one, friends are supposed to accept you where you are. Think about this. You have to understand. You, you have to think about this as me. Do I accept my friends or others where they are. That's tough because we know there's some people in this country, in this community that are in some bad situations. Are you willing to help them? If there's a prostitute in town, are you willing to try to help them? Somebody that's, that's, that's kind of down on their luck right now, are you willing to go the extra mile to help that person because a friend accepts you where you are? Well, to be sure, preacher, God doesn't expect me to do that. We all know John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have what? Eternal life. But we don't never quote the next verse, which says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. How many of us condemn all the time? I don't want you to raise your hand, because I'll raise my hand speaking about myself. I condemn. I turn on the news and I condemn, I condemn, I condemn. I, I, told, I said this at a funeral I did Monday night. I was talking about a 75-year-old dear saint. She loved Facebook. And one thing I noticed about this saint, she never put anything negative on Facebook. She never put her opinions out there. Man, it hit me hard. Your opinion won't change anybody. You put all the opinions you want to about politics, everything else. You can rant, rave, everything won't change a soul. But love will. 
When you say, you know what, I'm not going to condemn somebody because I remember where I was when Jesus saved me. That's how we're going to win the world. The second thing is friends challenge you to grow. Romans 15 says, We who are strong are to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to what? To build them up. Nothing feels better than you having a friend and y'all saying that you trust each other. That friend looks at you and says, I trust you. That, that's a good feeling. You know, that's what Jesus did with his disciples. He says, I trust you. That don't mean that he didn't have to counsel them. That don't mean that sometimes he didn't have to chastise them. That means discipline. Let me tell you something. The Bible says that who the Lord disciplines, who he chastises, those are who he loves. So if you, you, know, if you get chastised by God, but when you're dealing with a friend, you have to challenge them to grow. And when God said, I trust the disciples, he left to them to carry the gospel message to the whole world. I've always thought it was cool how the disciples, they didn't have social media. They didn't have smartphones. They didn't have computers. They didn't have none of that, but they changed the whole world for Jesus Christ. How? Because they loved him. They were dedicated to him. They did everything that the Bible and he had told them to do. With all the technology and everything we have now, if we would listen to the word of God, if we would love each other, how much more could we do? Think about that. Number two, friends give honest counsel. Woo! This is one we don't take too kindly of, folks. But we have to do it. There is no progress without feedback. Me and your pastor, we sit around a campfire a lot of times and we talk and we give each other feedback. I trust him. But he also gives me honest counsel when he says, Dane, be careful. There's a blind spot right there. I would be careful right there. I call them guardrails. We need a friend that says, you know what? You need to put up a guardrail. You know what? I've seen you at work. You've been, you've been talking to that secretary too much. I'm concerned about you. That is honest counsel. And that's why it's so important to be friendly and have friends. Proverbs 24, 26 says, An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. I can interpret that as this. Real friends care enough to tell one another the truth, even when it's awkward, even when it's painful. Real friends say, I love you too much to stand back and watch you make a mistake. But let me tell you something. What you better be careful of today is it also says that wounds from a friend can be trusted. That means even though it may hurt for my friend to say that, I know I can trust them. But the Bible says an enemy multiplies kisses. You need to circle that in your Bible. Proverbs 27 to 6, an enemy multiplies kisses. You know what I'm talking about there? That is, that is talking about people who always compliment you. If somebody always compliments you, I'm not trying to be ugly, but you ain't perfect. I ain't perfect. I am perfectly human just like you. We make mistakes. Somebody's always compliment, always compliment, always compliment. They're not telling you the truth because friends give honest counsel. Well, preacher, there's somebody I want to give some honest counsel to, but I don't know how to do it. Your pastor taught me something years ago, and I want you to listen to this. Right place, right time, right spirit. Right place, right time, right spirit. Maybe that would be a good time for you to sit down over that cup of coffee and say, listen, from my heart, I want to tell you something. They may not accept it really great right then, but I promise you they will appreciate it later. And the last one is, friends expect the best. Many of y'all may know what 1 Corinthians 13 is. We call that the love chapter. And I love what verse 7 of the love chapter says. It says, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres.
have positive expectations for people. You see, if I was always negative with my son, I said, son, you can't do this, son, you can't do that, son, you, you should have caught that baseball tonight, son, I can't believe you didn't throw it right, then he would get down on himself. But if I'm positive, if I, if I give positive reinforcement, that lets him know that I love him and I expect the best. Friends give honest counsel. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, preacher, I hear what you're saying. You've covered the causes of loneliness, what, what the Bible says about loving a neighbor and a true value of a friend. Well, I feel so lonely. I feel so out of place. I don't know what's going on in your life. You could come here and put a mask on, put a smile. And you may serve in the church and all that's great, but you may be fighting the battle of your life behind closed doors. The enemy wants to isolate you. I don't know the situation. And maybe you feel like you don't have many friends you can trust. May 2000, excuse me, December 2008. I'll never forget that day. It was the 14th. It was just a few days before Christmas. I'd been out another night with my buddies. I was in my mid-20s, and I felt so alone. You see, I tried to find an answer to my loneliness in a bottle, in a drug. I was raised in church, but I had gotten away from the Lord, and I was just so miserable. And I've been out all night before, and I got up the next morning, you know, just that feeling. If you've ever experienced that feeling, it's not good. You see, even though I was raised in the church, I can't tell you that I didn't get away from God in college and high school. I did. But I'll never forget what he spoke to my heart this morning. I was ready for a change, and I, I knew what to do. I, I knew I needed Jesus. There were some people praying for me. Mama's out there to praying for these children. Keep praying because my mama prayed. Used to embarrass me so much, I'd come home at 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, the light would still be on in the house. I'd have a buddy of mine with me, watch the light still, and I said, my mama's up. Here I am, 20 years old. But you know what? God was after me. And it's amazing when Andrew asked me to preach this, it all ties in together. That morning, the Lord spoke to my heart, and he said, Dane, you need a best friend. You need a best friend. And what he meant by that, the Bible talks about Jesus is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. One who's lays down his life for his friends. He laid down his life for you and I. And the Bible says that he's a friend that will never leave us nor forsake us. And that morning when God saved me, that's what I received. Yes, he's my father. Yes, uh, he, he's my Lord. He's my king. But he's also a friend who walks with me every step of the way, who accepts me. He accepted me where I was at. I, I was lost. I was a drunkard. But he accepted me. His word challenges me to grow. He gives honest counsel. You know how he gives honest counsel? Because he does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he expects the best. I love when we talked about Peter a while ago when he failed in the Word of God. I love the fact that he dealt with Peter's failure in only the way a friend could. He was there and had some fish there by the bank. And he said, Peter, feed my sheep. Do you love me? That's what you get when you get Jesus. A friend that will stick closer with you than anybody. You can't be friendly to others like God says you should until you know the master. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if nobody will look around, really know how you do things. I, I've seen Andrew different ways, but I'm going to ask first of all, there's one in here that would say, preacher, I'm lonely. 
I need Jesus this morning. I, I, maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you're saved, but you just are having a bout with loneliness right now. The enemy's trying to isolate you. He's that lion that's after you. And you would say, Preacher, pray for me this morning. Is the one in here that would slip up their hand and say, Preacher, pray for me? I don't know. Yes, there's a hand. There's a hand. Yes, there's a hand. There's a hand. We're going to pray for you this morning. Yes. Maybe there's one in here that would say, Preacher, I need to be more friendly. Yes, I'm friendly with my close group of friends, but, you know, people know in this community that I attend church and I love the Lord, and when I go out, I, I need to show myself more friendly to others, and I, I need to love people. I, I'm going to raise my hand on that. I've got to do a better job of that because that's what God has not asked me to do but commanded me to do. If that's you in here, slip up your hand and say, Preacher, that needs to be me. Yes, there's hands going up all over this auditorium. What I want to do is I want to lead us in a word of prayer. Whatever you need from the Lord, the Lord does not have a nervous condition. He hears all of us at once. If you're here this morning, you need to be saved. Say, Lord, save me. I believe what you did at the cross for me. I believe you rose again and that you live forevermore. If that's your prayer this morning, pray that prayer. I'll be up here after this, and I will pray that prayer with you. But we're going to pray for those that just slipped under their hand. Father, we come to you at this time. We just want to thank you, Lord, for your words today. These aren't Dane Williford's words. These are words out of the Bible. And God, first of all, you saw those ones that raised their hand this morning and said, Preacher, I feel lonely. God, I have been there. Even since I've been walking with you, there have been times I felt so lonely. The enemy would try to isolate us. But God, you were here this morning. And God, you are that friend that said that you would never leave us nor forsake us. So those that raised their hands have to know, God, that you are here right now. That whatever situation they're facing in their life, God, you're touching. You're going to move. That you're there, God. And you just want them to trust you, Lord. God, I pray for them that you would encourage them, that you would strengthen them. Maybe there's some here this morning, God, that need to be saved. I pray right now, Lord, that they would give it all to you. We, we, we preachers sometimes make being saved so hard, but it's so easy, God, because you've already paid the price. You've done it all. It's a free gift. All we have to do is accept it. So if there's one here that's lonely and feels like there's no hope, no future, God, I pray this morning that they are saved. And then, God, finally, for those of us, and myself included, to raise our hand and say, I need to be more friendly. God, help me when I go in my classroom on Tuesday, Lord, to see that those kids, God, I may be the only Bible they ever read, that I've got to love them, God, that I've got to show compassion towards them, God, and I've got to give them that honest counsel. I've got to challenge them to grow. Lord, I pray, God, for those that raise their hand, that whatever place they work, God, wherever their homes are, Jesus, that you would do that in their life, that we take that commandment that says, love your neighbor seriously, Lord. Because, Father, you said if we want to make it to glory, we have to love you. And we have to love people no matter what. So I just pray for those, God, that you encourage us, God, and prepare us, Lord, to win a lost and dying world. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name.